One of the things that I would like us to do by the end of the class is to eat up all of those <laughs> those uh, things back there. So please get up and get some more treats. We need to get rid of all of those. Yeah. You guys don't mind me eating up here, do you? Well, we're continuing our study on uh, on parenting, parenthood, um, and uh, we've gotten to uh, the sixth class here on girls and motherhood. Perhaps you saw the commercial in the 70s that had a song that went like this, I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, anybody know this song? And never, never leave. let you forget you're a man because I'm a woman. This was a... Uh, product that was being sold called Anjoli Perfumer. I suppose that's how you pronounce it. Um, I, I actually went back on YouTube and tried to look it up just to see what it was like, and they do do Anjoli. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I think the the point of it actually the song comes from uh, um. It, this, the I guess the title or the advertisement song there comes from a bigger song. And here, listen to the whole thing. This is the the whole verse, and listen to um, what kind of woman they were trying to portray that would that would uh, wear this perfume. I can rub and scrub till this old house is shining like a dime. Feed the baby, grease the car, and powder my face at the same time. <laughs> Get all dressed up, go out and swing till 4 a.m. And then lay down at five, jump up at six, and start all over again. Because I'm a woman. And then listen to this last line. W-O man. This is how she spells woman. W, that is double the man's power. Um, That's how she saw herself. So this is a commercial that we have from the 70s. And yet the song um, obviously still has some of that old flavor, the go out and going out and swinging and greasing the car and so on. But, but the, message, the message of competence and indigenous, independence, uh, competitiveness, and even superiority are, are very much 2013, aren't they? Um, you know, the, the optimal woman today in our society seems to be a hybrid of both uh, masculinity and femininity. That is, that she can do both. She can do it all. That's the way that, that our society portrays her. If you look to our society for answers, it will um, be a struggle to try to find out what it means to to be a woman who has it all. And maybe in your own life, you've wrestled with what it means to be a woman. Um, at least for you women, you do, uh, hopefully. And uh, whether there really is a difference between what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a man or what it means to be to raise a daughter and what it means to raise a son. Maybe as a husband you've wondered how to encourage your wife and daughters as far as how they think about their lives and how they invest their lives. Perhaps as a single man you've uh, wondered what to look for in a wife. We, we can't cover all these questions this morning, but what we can do is consider God's plan for mothers and daughters, and that's what we want to do. Before we jump in, though, let me uh, just uh, have a word of prayer and ask God's help as we uh, look into these things. Father, we thank You for this morning in which we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And um, 
we treat this as a special time of remembrance of His resurrection. But really, if we think about it, we celebrate His resurrection every Sunday. That's why we meet on Sunday. And uh, we look forward to celebrating it again today because it is the source of our life, of our hope, of our confidence in uh, the life to come, in our confidence in this life that there is a purpose and that, that we can have a right relationship with you and we do have a right relationship with you because of Jesus' finished work on the cross and His and the proof of that which is seen in the resurrection. Lord, we ask for your help as we think about what it means to be a, a godly wife, a godly mother, and raising godly daughters. Give us practical wisdom that, that would be helpful in our own homes and in our church as we seek to model these things and help uh, influence other people along these lines. We pray that our understanding of the truth would come from your word, which is truth, and that we would develop our application understanding from it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so this this talk here, um, you can turn to Titus chapter 2. This talk is not a this is not to get into the finer points of biblical womanhood. I'm, I'm not going to do that um, because, as you may have noticed, I'm not a woman, and so I, I'm not going to be able to help you that way. But I will be able to help you as far as the Scriptures speak to womanhood and what it means to be a godly woman, what it means to raise godly daughters. And uh, you don't have to be a woman in order to, to teach those things. All right, so Titus chapter 2, this is the text we'll look at a couple times today. And uh, again, we've seen this before, but I want to hold out this model of what a godly woman ought to look like. Titus chapter 2, verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. The major points of biblical womanhood, what it means to be a godly wife, mother, and to raise godly daughters, and what we're trying to raise them to be, is found here in the Scripture. And... um, so, so the most important thing, God could have written down a lot of things of what it means to be a woman and how we ought to raise our daughters, but ultimately what He wanted to write down, what He saw as sufficient is what is actually recorded and preserved for us. Okay, so we can find lots of texts that speak more about what it means to be a woman, but here is, here is a powerful one um, that helps uh, lay down some, some guidelines. And just to give you... Uh, uh, to back up here and take a big picture perspective, um, we need to start where we have started in, in previous classes, and that is that God has a specific picture for man and for woman. Yes, Genesis one twenty seven does tell us that we were created in God's image, both male and female. He created them. Okay, and therefore, therefore, we should not treat women as inferior men. But, but, but rather as equals before God. And the same thing is true with regard to our justification. 
that as far as our standing before God through Christ, we are on the same plane. But we are not interchangeable. Man and woman are not interchangeable. interchangeable. Instead, what the Bible teaches is that man and woman are complementary. Okay, so in other words, they complete each other. Um, and this is how God designed us to be. We have, we are one in essence. We are one in equality, but we are different in role, different in function. There, are, there is a different authority structure within, um, within our gender within our genders, and so we need to recognize that. And at the beginning, what we need to recognize is that in order to believe and practice this, we must understand that the Scripture is sufficient. Again, the Bible hasn't laid down every single detail about what it could have said, but God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness, Second Peter 1, 3. And so what we know is that while God could have said more, He said all that He wanted to about womanhood. And so we go to passages like Genesis chapter 2. We go to passages like Proverbs 31, Titus 2, 1 Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 5. And it's there we find what God wants us to, to understand about what it means to be a woman. Now when we look at a passage like we have just read, Titus 2, there is lots of... Uh, there's lots of scorn or disdain for the type of words that we would use to describe what a woman ought to be, like helper, mother, busy at home, self-controlled, submissive or obedient to her husband, gentle and quiet. I mean, are we for real? Aren't those terms a little bit outdated? Aren't those those roles a little bit outdated. Don't we need to move into the 21st century and start um, uh, adopting what the world has, you know, progressed in with regard to, you know, with regard to uh, what a woman ought to be? And uh, actually, the scriptures are very clear about this, and these things have not gone away. And, and in order to think about this more clearly, let's think about. Um, three things. Number one, radical feminism in the scope of human history is brand new. Okay, if you think about it from, uh, from, I mean, centuries past, before the time of Christ, all the way up until the 20th century, really, radical feminism was not even, was not even uh, uh, around or wasn't a major uh, movement. One uh, lady writes in a uh, a, uh, a book that's edited by, uh, I think her name is Carolyn Mahaney. She says, whether it's the pleasure of being a wife or raising a children or of making a, a home, these were, until the day before yesterday, considered the most natural things in the world. So being a wife was actually a good thing. Raising a children before, besides you know the day before yesterday, meaning in in the last few decades, uh, that was the most natural thing. And women and men were not interchangeable. But the fact that they are now, that, that you can take a woman and put her in a position that she acts just like a man, that's all brand new, if you think about it in terms of history. Secondly, um, scriptures, 
ought to change our view on all sorts of things that we oppose because of our sin nature. Okay, our sin nature may be drawing us to to want to change what it looks like to be a woman, but scriptures ought to ought, ought to ultimately direct our thoughts and control how we think about what it means to be a woman. If we are not being controlled by the scripture, we are automatically being controlled by the the world and its and its mentality. Third um, functional differences does not mean inferiority. Okay, functional difference does not mean inferiority. If you think about it within the Godhead, we have a functional structure that God the Father is over God the Son. He commands the Son and the Spirit to do things. God the Father never in Scripture is is said to submit to the Son. Right? God God the Father is never said to submit to the Spirit. Does that make the Spirit and the Son inferior to God the Father? And of course, that it does not because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are equal in, in essence, but they are different in function. So do you see how in the Godhead even it shows a picture of that this functional structure is not a bad thing, that man is over a woman, particularly within special relationships like marriage and, and so on. But but that doesn't make the woman inferior. All right, so we shouldn't have to we shouldn't have to balk at these terms when we say that, you know, women have a different function. It may look like a lesser function to our society but not to God. And isn't that most important? All right. So we're going to go through the definition again of biblical femininity. We did this in the la- the last series of classes and we're going to to do it again just like we did in the very last class. Um, let me just read the definition for you there on your handout. It is, at the heart of mature femininity, there is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to women's differing relationships. Okay, so we're going to start with that first part, um, that, that it, this is mature biblical femininity. There is an immature type of femininity that we're not, uh, looking for when it comes to the world they're they're promoting and displaying for us a picture of womanhood that is independent assertive and vocal and um and that's not the sort of thing that that the scriptures uh would promote for a godly christian woman look at titus chapter 2 verses 3 through 5 again and, uh, and see if you see any of these sorts of ideas um, that the world is trying to promote. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. Okay, so if you want to a picture of what it looks like to be a mature Christian woman or for you men, for what what you ought to be praying for with regard to your wife. She ought to be one who loves her husband and children, not focused primarily on self-fulfillment, on, on, uh, on, uh, only on her career. All right? She is rather... 
She is self-controlled. She's in charge of her emotions and in her and with her mouth. She is pure. You know, not not uh, consumed with the latest romance novels and and dressing to to impress or something like that. She's busy at home, avoiding putting herself uh, under the authority of of men other than her husband. She is capitalizing on her home as a place of fruitful ministry and out of uh, a place out of which she can do great ministry for her family and for her church and for her world. Proverbs 31 talks about that. She is kind. She is caring for others. She submits to her husband. Those things might rub us the wrong way because our culture um, has been pushing against us and actually pushing us in the wrong direction, but that doesn't mean that our culture is right. And that's why we need to keep coming back to the Scriptures to see these sorts of things. So, how do we as parents teach these traits to our daughters? How do we teach these to our daughters? It's very similar to the application that we looked at last week. Um, I think we do this by making it clear that, that a man and a woman are not interchangeable. That our daughters are not interchangeable with boys. And so our goals for our daughters ought to be different from our goals for our sons. You know, in our culture, it's it's very acceptable for a girl to have the same sorts of pursuits as a boy, and, and people in our culture would praise that sort of thing. Um, but but here's where we as fathers ought to to be able to to help train our daughters by pointing them to our our wife, showing our daughters what it looks like to be a godly woman and what it looks like to invest herself in her home and in her family and in her church and 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 even in in uh, investing in the world. This is a wonderful thing that our daughters ought to see and and as fathers we ought to point this out to our our daughters that that our our wives are putting this on display. What we're looking for in our daughters, you know, if 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 we got what we wanted in our daughters, what would our daughters look like when they grew up? Hopefully, she would look like a woman who fears the Lord. You know, the end of Proverbs 31, charm is deceitful and, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This is what we ought to be, that, that we ought to be um, looking for within our daughters, that ultimately she becomes a woman who loves Christ. And the way that that is expressed is in her self-control, her willingness to learn to submit to authority, that she is a pure young girl as she she is raised to be a, a godly woman, and that she learns how to be busy at home. And so what that means is, as parents, we ought to think about how we can cultivate this in, in our daughters, that... Um, that we ought to teach purity and that the model that that TV puts out there for what purity is is not the model that we're we're looking for in our daughters that that we're not looking for our daughters to be able to show how much power they can exert over men but rather uh learning teaching them to to learn how to to be pure in their minds and in the way that they dress not not trying to uh be alluring in the way that they present themselves and uh, you can see even in our culture how 
seems like girls, even at a younger and younger age, from the, they, they start thinking about these things more than they used to. That they are more concerned about their, their looks and about how much they weigh and all sorts of things, when, even at a younger and younger age, because our society keeps trying to push us into this mold that that's the most important thing. Um, we can also uh, help them with regard to learning how to be busy at home. Instead of satisfying all their desires, starting, start teaching them work ethic within the home, how to do certain things that they're going to be responsible to do when they grow up. Okay, obviously we could make a long list of what kind of things these are, you know, like um, crafts or knitting or cooking or baking and laundry, all sorts of things that, that would be helpful for a girl to be able to manage her home well when she gets to a place where she needs to be responsible for that. And then we can teach her to be kind, um, that she is, um, if you look at verse 5 again, this is where I'm drawing these applications from, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, and then kind. You know, not not a bossy girl, not not a gossip but that there is a great beauty in being kind and gentle and and having a quiet spirit that God actually looks down on with with a smile. Um, teach her what it looks like to be to be lovely before God. All right, then for mothers, uh, you know, just very practically, are you modeling these things for your daughters, uh, ladies? Are you modeling these things for the the younger women in the church, younger girls in the church, you're modeling what it looks like to to have these traits, even if you don't have children of your own. What do you think, mothers, of God's design of manhood and womanhood? Is it something that you don't like to talk about, you don't like to even think about because you think it's unfair? Um, are you trying to to get to a place where you're adopting the manly roles within the household? Okay, so I would say that for you mothers and just for ladies in general, it ought to start with a modeling. Okay, that is, put it on display so that these girls can can see what it looks like. And then secondly, it should be instruction. Okay, that is actually teaching them. Talk to them about what it means to be a woman. Talk to them about how uh, yes, we are equal with men, but we are different in function, and that's okay. Because you know what. You know what, honey? You know Jesus submits to the Father, and it's okay for us to submit to to Dad, or you know, to to someone at church, or someone in the government, or someone at the job. That's okay. Jesus was willing to submit. We can do the same thing. And then give them practical training. Show them how. Teach them what it looks like to to be someone who cares about her home. Because. Girls in our day don't get very much education in this way if they're not getting it in the home. If they're not getting it in the church, they're probably getting the wrong kind of education with regard to what it means to be a godly woman. And so we ought to, to give them practical training. Uh, Carolyn Mahaney gives five recommendations um, for how to love our children, specifically our daughters. She says, we ought to pray for our daughters. We ought to take an interest in our daughters. We ought to listen closely to our daughters. We ought to express affection 
We ought to make memories with our daughters. And then actually the sixth one is encourage, encourage, encourage. Show them that mature femininity in God's eyes is actually a good thing and that it's something that is worthy of being pursued. All right? So mature femininity, at the heart of it, is um, is recognizing that God has set up a, a specific model for us to follow and and we ought to be doing that. Any questions or comments? All right. The next phrase in the definition is a freeing disposition. Now, this does not seem right, okay? Because if you've felt the tension when I've read some of these verses, even from the text, that she is to be sensible, pure, quiet, uh, you know, a uh, worker at home, subject to her own home, you, you sense the tension within you that that's not freeing, that's actually enslaving. And that's exactly what our culture will say. In 1963, Betty Friedan uh, helped launch a, a movement to liberate women from what she viewed as an enslaving stereotype. And here's how she did it in order to, to show them that they needed to be liberated. Here's what she showed what it looks like to be feminine in a wrong way. She said to be feminine, she called it the feminine mystique, is to be trapped as a woman in your home or she called it comfortable concentration camps. Okay, So when you talk about uh, being a mother, being a wife, in those terms, well, yeah, it does sound like you need to be freed from that. And And to be fair, a lot of this has risen, that is the feminist movement has risen out of what? Can you imagine what it might have risen out of? Exactly. Male abuse or male abandonment, right? They've failed in their job to be godly men or to, to, to model these sorts of things. And so as a result, they, they do feel, some women probably do feel like they're entrapped. And yet that doesn't mean we abandon the whole model. Listen to Elizabeth Elliot, famous missionary from the mid-1900s, uh, whose husband died as he was um, ministering to the Aka Indians. Here's what she, she says, and, and this is a, little bit of, a bit of a longer quote, so try to stick with me here. We must, and do implore, we must and do deplore, hate the stereotypes that caricature the divine distinctions between men and women. We deplore the abuses perpetuated by men. So she's acknowledging what I just mentioned, that it, we don't like that. But... Have we forgotten that men are only archetypes? Or have we forgotten what the archetypes is? Have have we forgotten that men are not the archetype? They're not the main thing. They're actually stereotypes. Okay, then she goes on to explain. A stereotype is a word generally used disparagingly to denote a fixed or conventional notion or pattern. Okay, so that's a stereotype. That's a picture of something else. An archetype is the original pattern or model. And she says, I'm not here to defend stereotypes, right? I'm not here to defend stereotypes of femininity, but I'm trying to focus on the original pattern. She goes on, the first woman was made specifically for the first man, a helper, to meet, to respond to, surrender to, and to compliment him. God made her from the man out of his very bone, and then he brought her to the man. 
when Adam named Eve, he accepted responsibility to husband her, to provide for her, to cherish her, to protect her. These two people together represent the image of God. Neither one nor the other was adequate alone to bear the divine image, but Eve, in her refusal to accept the will of God, refused her femininity. Adam, in his capitulation to her suggestion, abdicated his masculine responsibility for her. It was the first instance of what we would recognize now as role reversal. This definite disobedience ruined the original pattern and things have been awful mess ever since. And then she goes on, she says, the world looks for happiness through self-assertion. But the Christian knows that joy is not found in self-assertion, but in self-abandonment. Here's what Jesus said, if a person will let himself be lost for my sake, then Jesus said he will find his true self. If a person will let himself be lost for my sake, then he will find his true self. A Christian's woman A Christian woman's true freedom lies on the other side of a very small gate called humble obedience. But that gate leads out into a largeness of life undreamed by the liberators of the world to a place where the God-given differentiation between the genders is not abandoned but celebrated. For it is in male and female, in male as male and female as female, not as two identical and interchangeable halves that the image is manifested. To gloss over these profundities is to deprive women of the central answer to the cry of their hearts, Who am I? No one but the author of the story can answer that cry. Okay, so I've spent some extra time on this quote because this is the battle between the Freedons and the we could say the Eliots of the world and and this is very well what is going to um, define what our daughters understand about what it means to be a woman. And so we cannot afford to be neutral. And here's her point. Okay, We make out all these stereotypes about what it looks like to be a woman or what it looks like to be a man. And, and what she's saying is those stereotypes are flawed. And if we look to those stereotypes and we think that because that is flawed, then we should abandon the whole thing. Then we miss the point because the stereotypes only are supposed to point to the archetype, the original pattern. What we're supposed to be displaying, that is the image of God. As we work together, both male and female, we we work together and, and as a result, we display God's image in a beautiful way that there is a proper function within uh, within the the marriage relationship, within the created order that is male and female, just like there is a proper function within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so if we if we get our focus off of that original pattern and onto the stereotype, yeah, we're going to want to abandon it. Because unfortunately, even as Christians, we don't model it perfectly. And so we need to know where we stand on this. And so we need to take a, a, so, a sobering look at our culture. It's Our culture is trying to help our daughters, our girls, girls from our church, they're trying to help them answer the question, who am I? And unfortunately, they're giving our girls the wrong answer. It's the same answer that tripped up Eve. And so what we want to do 
is to help them to see, as Elizabeth Elliot said, the largeness of life this un, that, that is undreamed by the liberators of this world. Help them to see that, that it is not free to abandon what God has set up for us. Those are not restrictions. Those are actually liberating. That, you know, uh, what, what does Jesus say? Um, it is the truth that will set you free, right? It is the truth that will set you free. Well, that's not what our culture says. They're saying the truth is out here in abandoning this whole model and moving on to, to um, a, differing, a different understanding of what the functions are within um, the gender relationships. All right, so let me just make a few uh, points of uh, application here on daughters and mothers, and then we'll, I'll ask for questions. So for our daughters, teach them that they will be happiest doing what God made them to do. Um, all right, I'll leave those up for, there for you. Teach, teach our daughters that they'll be happiest doing what God made them to do and to be. Talk to them about what it means to be a, a biblical woman and how much blessing and safety there is in it. Show them how that they are like Christ when they are taking this role, that is, that they are submitting to someone who is over them. It's not, you know, it's not demeaning to be uh, workers at home. It's not demeaning to be quiet and peaceful or to be pure or modest. These are good things. This is something that actually is freeing. And then for you mothers, are you convinced that this liberation is for you? Sometimes we don't like God's design, but we have to look for his goodness in in them and um and so what so here's what we ought to keep coming back to what is God's design for me what has he made me to be and to do i'm going to set aside what the culture wants me to be what i feel i think i ought to be and i'm going to listen to god okay that's that's when we really start showing how mature we are as christians and if you don't feel like you know, doing what God wants you to do, then then pray to Him about that, and uh, and seek other godly women counsel from them, and see how they. I mean, everybody hand, everybody deals with this, not wanting to do what God has called us to do, not wanting to be what God wants us to be. And so talk to people who have gone through the same thing, and and see what kind of wisdom you can gain from them. Any questions or comments? All right. Silence means affirmation, right? All right. I'll take I'll take that as true this time. All right. So what does this freeing disposition enable a woman to do? Well, several things. First, to affirm the strength and leadership of worthy men. Um, this is important uh, when when we are single. It's important when we are married to understand what this means. So for so for daughters, we need to encourage our daughters to affirm their father's leadership. Obviously, they're not married, you know, when they're under our care, but but help them to affirm their father's leadership. Help them to see that that they ought not to be seeking to usurp his authority. Cultivate um, in your daughters uh, a love for their father's authority and understand that he's actually caring for them. He's caring for for uh, for you as a mother as well. 
And uh, for us fathers, we ought to be thinking about how we can be cultivating a, a, a proper, we could say, stereotype, right? A proper model of what the original pattern ought to be. Make sure that we're not giving them a distorted view of what the original pattern looks like. If we're modeling it well, then our our daughters are going to want to serve God. They're going to want to obey His authority. They're going to want to obey their husband when they get married. That's actually a good thing. Um, mothers uh, work hard on, on, again, being a model in this way of of being a a person who loves to um, affirm the authority of her husband. Not not the type like Rachel who's scheming with her son against her husband or Eve listening to other voices. Teach teach your daughters that it's a good thing to to follow your husband's leadership. You know, um you can even say it in in stark terms. You know, it's good that your daddy leads our home. He's the head of the home and what he says that's what we will do. And that's why you're going to be disciplined, for example, in this way, because you didn't take him as the authority. That's why, uh, you know, that's why we, we structure things this way. Okay, so cult- cultivate an attitude of thanks- thankfulness for God's good position for you and for your daughters. All right, we need to quickly roll through these last several. So if you have a question, just stop me. Did you get that last one there? All right, I'll, I'll um, move on to the next one as you're writing that down. It's also a freeing disposition to receive strength and leadership from worthy men. In the book Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, the author says a mature woman is glad when a respectful, caring, upright man offers sensitive strength and provides a pattern of appropriate initiatives in their relationship. She does not want to reverse these roles. She's glad when he's not passive. She feels herself enhanced and honored and freed by his caring strength and servant leadership. And so as parents, we ought to be training our daughters to have the mindset um, that they are not to be seeking independence and omnicompetence. That is, I can do it all. You know, like that, that 1973 commercial. Train that they will that they will thrive best under godly leadership, that the most freeing thing that they possibly can do, the most liberating thing that they can do is to follow God's pattern for them. Teach them to to relish going to their father for counsel and um, and point them to to God in, in, in these ways. For mothers, that means you ought to um, continue modeling a um, a desire to receive this strength from worthy leadership. Look for opportunities to delight in your husband's leadership, provision, protection. Help them to see the rich blessing that it is to have um, you know, someone in your home who is leading you in this way. And even if that model is flawed, and we all are, gentlemen, aren't we? A little bit of hesitation there. Well, speak for yourself, right? Um but we're all flawed, and so, okay, ladies, this is the difficult part. Even with a flawed husband-father, you can still point out qualities of goodness to your daughters to help them see that this, even the structure, even if they're not doing it the best way, even the structure is a good thing. 
that God has placed them in that position for a reason and that's actually helpful for them. All right, to receive strength. Uh, this is what we just went through, so a little, little behind. Sorry about that. And then to nurture strength and leadership from worthy men. Um, again, Hebrew, or I'm sorry, Genesis talks about when God made the woman, He made her to be a helper suitable for Him. Okay? And so the problem was with Adam, the problem for him was not loneliness. The problem was, and you women can say amen if you want to, the problem was not loneliness, it was incompetence. Okay? Go ahead, you can say it. Uh, it was incompetence. They needed a helper suitable for them. That's, that's why we call it complementarianism. They complement man. Okay, so here, let me just help you understand what the Hebrew word that is translated helper means. It means helper. Okay, that simple. It means helper. Now, that doesn't sound right. It, it sounds demeaning, doesn't it? Like we're mommy's little helper and they actually get in the way. You know, when, when your children are young and they come in to help with cooking or cleaning or something, it always takes longer. Try having a kid help you paint or something like that. It takes a very long time because you're they're not much of a help. You're actually uh, guiding them through that. But but that's not actually what God's model is. It's not a, you know, here I'll let you do these things. It doesn't really mean anything. It's not important. But rather, God's model is actually to supplement, to complement. That's, that's your very orientation, ladies. This is the way that God made you. And you ought to, to value this. In fact, uh, this was set up before the curse, before the fall. Genesis 1 and 2, look at that passage again in Genesis 2, 15-24, and what you're going to see is that she was made a helper suitable for him long before that they, they actually sinned. Okay, When they sinned, the curse came upon them and it, it affected... Let me get you these next, next ones here. The, the sin actually affected uh, her relationship with her husband. Right, it is her, with her childbearing and with her desire to usurp his authority. Those were the two ways in which women were were cursed. Men, theirs was more re, with regard to their work. All right, so you ought to uh, to nurture strength and leadership. The way that you nurture strength and leadership is by being a good helper. What way can I make my husband? What way can I make my father a better? Father, better husband. What can I way can I make this man who has leadership over me a better leader? So I'm going to think about that. And you look at Proverbs 31, you look at Titus 2, and that's exactly what these ladies are doing. They are household managers. In fact, the phrase "workers at home" is could be literally translated "house despots" or "house managers." This is a good thing, ladies, to, to be the, the COO of your enterprise, your home. That you are um, not seeking self-fulfillment or seeking to advance your name or your career primarily, but that you're seeking to advance your own home. One writer in Biblical Manhood and Womanhood prays this way for his for the women in his church. He says that you not only pose the question, I pray that you women not only pose the question, let's see, career or full-time homemaker, but that you ask seriously, 
Should I pursue a full-time career or should I pursue freedom for ministry? And he goes on, which, which would be greater for the kingdom? To work for someone who tells you what to do to make his or, or her business prosper or to be God's free agent, dreaming your own dream about how your time and your home and your creativity could make God's business prosper. And that in all this, you make your choice not on the basis of secular trends or upward lifestyle expectations, but on the basis of what will strengthen the faith of the family and advance the cause of Christ. Ladies, again, I've said before, it is not wrong to work outside the home. Proverbs 31 is very clear on that. She was a very industrious woman who has had business outside of the home. But remember, her primary goal was to support her home, to do, to build up her home, her husband. It seems as if the husband was quite a quite a a, a notable character because of his wife, because of how strong she was and how much of a helper she was. She was making him a better person. She was making making sure that her kids were provided for, that her home was taken care of. And even she was providing for the poor, if you remember. So I'm not saying that it's wrong to work outside the home. I'm just saying that if that is your primary goal in life, to advance your career, then you're not following a biblical model. Rather, that ought to serve a purpose. Your career ought to serve a purpose to uphold and to support and to strengthen your home. That's your main responsibility that God has has given to you. All right. Where are we? Last one. Ways appropriate to the differing relationships that you have. Okay, so for daughters, we've we got to be careful about over-romanticizing the marriage relationship as if everything's going to be, to be uh, perfect and, and, um, and clean. Help them to see that you know, life is not always like the romance novels like to portray them. For mothers, work hard at the tasks in the home over which God has given you rule and model that hard work for your daughters. Help them to be able to see that. I hope that we here at this church do not spell woman double O man. Okay, But rather, we in our church recognize that there is an important God-given, God-ordained, God-blessed structure that He set up and has demanded for us that is actually beneficial both to you as women and to us as men to be a complementary figure, not saying compliments, but completing. And um, this is the type of thing that that God is, is pleased with and this is the type of thing that we ought to model. Let me... Come on in. No problem. I don't want to leave you out there in the rain. All right, any questions or comments on any of this? I got it. Trish. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's a good opportunity to say to look at the family and say, you know, if things go wrong with it, and then they've already talked to you or friends who are going to get divorced 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so those stereotypes can actually be helpful <coughs> um, to point us back to the original pattern of where we ought to be. So if we have bad stereotypes about what it looks like to have a man who's running the home in a, a domineering way rather than a loving, caring way, and a woman who's not submissive, then we use those to say, see, this is not what it's like in the Godhead. And actually, look at this family over here. This is how it ought to be, and this is what you ought to pursue. So, yeah, that's helpful. Jonathan? It just strikes me that um, I, I know I see it in my life and others that were very easily influenced by the world, television, media, advertisement all over the place, and, uh, of course, all the other people in the world that are not Christians and don't know any better, and some that are Christians and still don't know any better. Um, <coughs> just dress, attitudes, whatever, so many things that uh, we need to really keep an eye out on and uh, be wary of and think about it in godly terms of how we can properly do things. Yeah. That's why it's so important, I think, to be a part of a local church that is, it is um, promoting and displaying the Word of God because then we have now a filter that we can go back and when we see these things out in the world, we can actually evaluate them properly. That doesn't mean we explore all of them. Maybe we need to stop watching some things that are against the nature of what God has set up. Okay, But, but you understand what I'm saying. When we see those, see the, a person from the world like Jonathan saying, doesn't have that filter. And so everything comes in, oh, that must be true. And they, they evaluate it based on their own secular worldview. And what we're trying to do is trying to continually uh, change our worldview to match what the Scriptures is. And I hope you recognize that that's always going to be happening. We have to keep working at that. All right, good. Good comments. Appreciate those. Let me pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank You for the many women in our church that display this sort of womanhood that You have set up in the Scriptures. And we thank You that we can uh, have our daughters look to them for... Uh, modeling these sorts of things, and we pray that you'd help us to be confirmed in our minds even more about the truth of them because they are from your word. pray that you'd help us to think practically what this looks like in our homes as we, as men, seek to lead our wives and, and as women uh, seek to display these things to our daughters and, and uh, to the lost world and even to our church. Help us in this hour to follow as we, as we reflect on your word and what it means for us and how we ought to worship you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.